book of Luke, uh, chapter 2, uh, verses 21 through 24, as we come to our sermon text this morning. Let us please stand for the reading of God's Word. And our scripture lesson this morning is uh, Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 21 through verse 24. As we continue to see the uh, early days of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can hear the word of the living and the true God. And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus. The name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now in the last days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed. They brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, as you've given to us these words on this day, dear God, may you again use your word to bring peace unto our hearts, and may you lift us up into the knowledge of your truth through your sovereign will. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. This portion of the book of Luke in many ways uh, can be easily kind of read over. We go from this glorious passage which talks of the work of the shepherds, of the heavenly host praising God, saying glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. To then, after this passage, the Uh, beauty of the words of Simeon as he speaks of the blessings that God has given to him, allowing him to live to see the Redeemer. But in the middle of these two ecstatic passages, we have uh, what seems to be almost like stage directions. If you've ever watched a, a B-movie or a cheaply made movie, every now and then you'll see an actor accidentally read too much of the, uh, of the play. You know, all of a sudden you'll hear him say, well, now I turn to the right, or something like that. And in some ways, this passage can seem like that to us, where well, we've got to get through this so we can get to the important part. And there are many parts of the Bible that are like that, that we can easily skip over and miss what it is that the Holy Spirit is doing in telling us these uh, somewhat, or at least seemingly, unimportant details. I mean, we we understand why Jesus is circumcised. He's a male child. We we understand uh, why uh, they come to present Him to the temple. Right? That's what the law of God says that you're supposed to do. So, of course, you know, Joseph and Mary, being good parents, being godly parents, do what the law says. And uh, just as uh, Mary you know, is presented here, it says that she also obeys the law of Moses uh, by waiting until the day of her purification. And these, these three things uh, again, can seem kind of like routine. Of course, that's what a good Jew would do. 
Again, this passage is very rich in what it tells us about the nature of our God. It is full of a testimony of what Jesus Christ has come to do for His covenant people. When we, when we again, pay attention to what Luke is doing here, it's especially vital that we pay attention because if we don't see what Luke's doing here, then we won't understand what Luke does through the rest of his book. Because remember, what is the main goal of Luke's Gospel? Each Gospel has a different purpose, has a different reason for being written. Well, at the beginning of the book of Luke, we are told that Luke has set forward, inasmuch as many have taken in hand, to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the Word delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. Now, Theophilus, like Luke, is a Gentile. And, you know, again, we, we probably don't need to be told this, but it's worth saying. If you're a Gentile, you don't grow up in a Jewish house. And if you're a Gentile, you don't grow up learning about the law of Moses. You don't grow up learning about days of purification or even circumcision for that matter. And you probably aren't aware of, uh, of many things that happen in a Jewish household. And so Luke, in order to help Theophilus have a perfect understanding of all these things that have taken place, all the things that have been fulfilled, well, he sets out to tell him everything. Right? He, as it says there, he wants to give an orderly account, most excellent, Theophilus. Now, think of those words, orderly account. Now, as Presbyterians, we love the word order. Right? That, that's, a, that's a word that's near and dear to our hearts. Right? The, probably our favorite passage is from 1 Corinthians chapter 14, where it says that we're to do everything decently and in order. And so, having an orderly account, again, kind of speaks to our hearts. Well, to have an orderly account, you're not just kind of telling things in order. Right? This isn't just a statement about chronology. You know, this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. You see, Luke wants Theophilus, and he wants us to understand the reason why these things happened in the order that they did. And so let's go to the passage this morning in verse 21. Notice uh, what happens here in verse 21. Again, we're told, And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now, this is referring, first of all, to Genesis 17, uh, verse 12, which is the command that God gave to Abraham that he was to circumcise every male child in the household. And again, you remember what circumcision was for. Circumcision was an outward sign of an inward reality. 
that this child belonged to the Lord. And not only did this child belong to the Lord, but this child had upon him the promise of God. That he would be their God. And that they would be, that God would be their God. And so think about this in the context of Jesus. Who is Jesus? Of course, Jesus is God. Why would God need to be reminded of who God is? Well, again, think about something that's that's taking place uh, before the foundation of the world. You you think about Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 tells us from before the foundation of the world, God predestined those who would be His. And part of that predestinating work was that God had chosen those who were His. And God had made a promise to the second person of the Holy Trinity concerning His work as Redeemer. That these people who had been promised unto Him would be given to Him If what? If He came to this earth, if He, born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, lived a perfect uh, example, obeyed the law in every respect, that as that perfect sacrifice, that the Lord God would do what? Would reward Him with the, the people, with a bride, with the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this circumcision of Jesus is not just Jesus doing what every good Jew did. But for Jesus, when he remembered the promise that God had made to him, was remembering that promise in a way even deeper than your average Israelite or Abraham or Moses, whoever, would have thought about it. Because every time Jesus looked at his circumcision, what did he remember? He remembered the promise that God the Father had made to him concerning his life. He remembered the promise that God had showed him from before the foundation of the world. Again, this is one of the reasons why Luke will tell us that Jesus was given this name before he was conceived in the womb. And it's not just a statement. I know, uh, uh, you know some of us are probably more planners than others. But you know, I had planned out what all of my kids' names were going to be when I was like 15 years old. Um, you know, pretty strange, but it was something that I had done. Now, I don't need to tell you that none of those names came to pass. But the reality was, is, you know, I had this in my mind. You know, what the names of my children would be. Yeah, and, and it's more than that that's going on here. It's not just that Mary and Joseph had gotten a book, a book out and were like, that's a pretty name. You know, let's name our son Jesus. Of course, we know that the angel came and told, told Mary and Joseph that the name would be Jesus. And where does the angel get this information? You know, is Gabriel saying, well, you know, I think Jesus would be a pretty name for a young boy. Right? The angel had gotten this information from God the Father. And when did God the Father decide that Jesus would be His name? Again, we believe that God does not change. Right? That God does not kind of react to human activities and change His mind. 
Right? That's one of the beauties of our God is that He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is never changing. And so this name Jesus was in the mind of God from before the very foundation of the world. And of course, what does Jesus mean? Of course, the name Jesus means God saves. And so Luke here is testifying to Theophilus that the work of salvation, the work of redemption, again, is not a reaction to world events, but had been planned from, again, before the world had been made. That Jesus would be born of a virgin in Bethlehem. That He would bear the name Jesus. That He would bear the name Emmanuel. Which means God with us. Of course, there's something else going on here. Again, when God decided, you know, before and before the beginning of time, that Jewish children would be circumcised on the eighth day, think about what this is representing for us in the New Testament. When you think about you know, the way the week is ordered under the Old Covenant. Right? What's the seventh day in the New Covenant? It's Saturday, right? And the Sabbath was celebrated on the seventh day on Saturday under the Old Covenant. Well, in the Old Covenant, it tells you to do what on the eighth day? To circumcise your child. Well, think about what the eighth day represents in the Old Covenant. It represents... Sunday. And think about what happens on Sunday in the New Testament. Of course, Sunday is the day that the Lord Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. This eighth day of circumcision is already showing the Jews that there's an expectation for that day. That there's something coming on that day. That the promise of God is made apparent on the eighth day of the week. And again, you can go back and you can read the book of Leviticus and you can see this eighth day pop up all over the place. I'm not going to read each and every one of those examples, but there's an idea there that God has already put into place concerning the eighth day, concerning what we call the first day of the week, right? The Lord's day. That's one of the reasons why we understand the fourth commandment to have continued into the new covenant age. Again, the day of rest has gone from the seventh day to the eighth day. From the seventh day to the first day of the week. The day of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ's resurrection from the dead. And this resurrection is being established, being shown to us already in the second chapter of the Gospel of Luke. So again, this statement that Jesus was circumcised in the eighth day in accordance with the law. It testifies again not only that God had set forward all these things from the foundation of the world, but it also shows us the nature of the work that Jesus had come to do. Likewise, we see this in this statement about the purification of Mary. Again, think about what the reasoning is here. Now again, you know, I think most of us are aware that uh, giving birth is not a clean affair. You know, even in a hospital, it's not a clean affair. You know, it's, it's a, even in modern 21st century America, it's still not an easy thing by any stretch of the imagination. Right? Again, those of you who have been there in, in the midst of a birth you know, can testify to that. 
And so the idea of purification is not just that it takes these days for Mary to get cleaned up. Right? This has nothing really to do with a physical need to be cleansed. You see, according to what we read in Leviticus chapter 12, uh, what we're told is, and I'll read it for you, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, If a woman has conceived and born a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days, as in the days of her customary impurity she shall be unclean. And on the eighth day the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised, she then shall continue in the blood of her purification 33 days. She shall not touch any hallowed thing, nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purification are fulfilled. Now again, the idea here again is not of a physical uncleanness. Again, think about what birth does. Jesus, of course, is not in this, but... Birth brings into the world a sinner. Birth brings into the world an unclean object. And so the idea here is, is that the purification rite is a reminder to Jews that sin is not only present, but that in the child contains sin. And again, this sin is, uh, as we hear in Psalm 51, is a sin which we have received from Adam. Right? We, we hear from, uh, from David there in Psalm 51, that in sin my mother conceived me. And that statement there is not David saying that his mother committed a sin in, in, in the conception of David. But that... Babies, that all humans are sinners. And that Mary, now of course Mary is not in this because we believe that Jesus Christ was without sin and was always without sin and will ever will be without sin. But again, the idea here is a testimony of the reality of the uncleanness of men. Uh, that we are in the need of being cleansed. You know, when we think about this in uh, New, T- New Testament ways, well, how is it that we are cleansed? Right? Again, our problem is not that we're dirty with dirt under our fingernails. Right? Our problem is, is we are dead sinners. We are unclean. And again, notice something about this rite of purification. What uh, is she not allowed to do until the days of purification are fulfilled? Until she becomes clean again. She's not to come into the sanctuary. Well, think about that again in the Old Old Testament, in the Old Covenant way. Right? What can't God be around? God God can't be around sin. Right? And where does God dwell in the Old Covenant? Right? God dwells in the temple. So unclean people cannot be in the presence of God. But who can be in the presence of God? Right? People who are clean. In many ways, the Old Covenant is a lot less complicated than we sometimes make it out to be. And what's that supposed to teach us? Again, what are we supposed to learn from this? Again, Mary has received her cleanliness, not from, again, the washing of water, but again, in the spiritual reality, she's been cleansed by her own Son. 
her own son who has received uh, this circumcision, this sign of God upon him, this son called Jesus, this son who has come to save Mary. Who's come to save Joseph from his sin. This, this, this son who is the perfect sacrifice for sin. So again, in this, this rite of purification, again, we're getting a testimony of the nature of the gospel. Right? We are not cleansed again by not sinning for 33 days. And then we're pure. Right? We are cleansed by the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? We're cleansed by the washing of the blood of the Lamb. And another thing we see interestingly enough in this passage as, as Luke is talking to us about the days of your purification according to the law of Moses is where did Moses get the idea for these things? You know, was Moses sitting around in the desert saying, well, we've got to come up with a way to teach people about things. So let's come up with this idea of a day of purification. That'll be a good way to, to, to do this. Right? Where did Moses learn these things? Right? He learned it from God Himself. Right? When Moses is up, up on top of the mount at Sinai, he's not just getting the Ten Commandments. Right? All of these Levitical laws, all of this old, old Covenant law is being revealed to him. And as Moses is writing this stuff down, as he is repeating what the Lord is revealing unto him, Remember, who is the one that's talking to Moses on the mount? You know, who is the person who speaks to people in the Old Testament? Of course, we understand that to be the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is giving to Moses this law. Giving to Moses this law that his own mother will follow in the Gospel of Luke. And again, that's an important thing for us to understand. Because again, when we read this law of purification, it's, it's very easy for us to say, well, that's just kind of silly Old Testament stuff. right? Or, well, that doesn't really apply to me. I live in the New Testament. But again, each one of these Old Testament Levitical laws are given to us that we might see more about the sacrifice of Christ. That we may understand more deeply what has happened to us in the work of Jesus. Again, Mary, in, in completing uh, this days of purification, again, testifying to the nature of sin, the nature and the reality of sin, has shown us the answer for our own sin. The answer for our own uncleanness. The answer for our own inability to be in the presence of a holy God. And it's through uh, this sacrifice that we see and again, that's, that's something that Old Testament does very clearly for us. You know, again, we see here in, uh, in what Luke has to tell us. And, and we continue to read there from Leviticus chapter 12. You know, when the days of purification are fulfilled, whether for a son or a daughter, she shall bring to the priest a lamb of the first year as a burnt offering, and a young pigeon or a turtle dove as a sin offering to the door of the tabernacle, of meeting. Again, she's supposed to bring a sacrifice to the door of the tabernacle. Now, why is she supposed to bring it to the door? Well, what, what can't she go in? Right? She can't go in the tabernacle. Right? She's not even allowed to bring the sacrifice to the priest. The priest has to meet her at the front door, as it were. And 
you notice what the law requires. It requires a lamb, two turtle doves, or two young pigeons. Now, what are we told here in the Gospel of Luke? As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the wound should be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. What's missing there? What is Luke telling us that, that Mary did not provide? We're, we're, we're not told that she brought a lamb. And it's not because Luke forgot. It's not because Luke was saying, well, they'll figure it out. Again, there's a purpose here in what Luke's doing. Again, let's continue to look there at Leviticus 12. It says, And if she is not able to bring a lamb, then she may bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons, one as a burnt offering and the other as a sin offering. So the priest shall make atonement for her and she will be clean. You notice something about what God is doing in Leviticus 12 and what He's showing us in Luke chapter 2. Well, what did Mary and Joseph just get from the three wise men? Well, frankincense, myrrh, and gold. Well, what does Mary evidently not have when it comes time for the day of the purification? She doesn't have money to pay for a lamb. Joseph does not have money to pay for a lamb. Again, this is worthwhile to consider, again, the nature of the gifts that were given with the Magi. Not that, you know, they just didn't give enough, right? We're not supposed to think of it in that way. But what we're told here is that Mary and Joseph had used the gifts that they had been given. And as she comes here, she's unable to give the full sacrifice. But notice what the law of God says in Leviticus 12. If she's unable to bring a lamb then she may bring the two turtle doves or two young pigeons. What do we call that? When somebody says you have to give me this and you only have this and they're satisfied with this. We call that mercy, right? We call that having mercy upon someone who is unable to give the full measure of what is required. That's a worthwhile thing to think about when we think about the law of God, especially of the sacrifices in the Old Covenant. Again, we have this mindset sometimes that you know, the God of the Old Testament is this mean, angry guy, and the God of the New Testament is a God of love, mercy, and grace. But what, what do we see embedded in the law of God? Right? We see the mercy of God in Leviticus 12. We see God recognizing that everybody can afford to bring a lamb and two turtle doves. And that two turtle doves is sufficient for this particular sin offering. So again, we're seeing in what Luke is telling us, again, something about the nature of God. Right? That He is a merciful God. That He is a God who who looks upon us and has not only had mercy in this way, but what's the reality of our place in the kingdom? Can we afford a land? Can we afford turtle doves? Can we afford even a hair off the back of a lamb? In, our, in the death, in our deadness, in our blindness, in the darkness of our hearts, we cannot provide anything to the Lord as a sin offering. 
The only thing we can bring to the Lord is the sin that made Christ's atonement necessary. But again, in showing to us in this passage the mercy of God, as we, we read this, as we see the mercy of God upon His people, we're meant to think again once more about the name of Jesus. This idea that God saves. That God has provided atonement for us. Again, remember what it says here. So the priest shall make atonement for her and she will be clean. And this is true of Mary. The priest has made atonement for her. And as we look at our own hearts and we look at our own souls, we we have that testimony as well. Right? The priest has made atonement for us. Right? The priest has taken the sacrifice and laid it upon the mercy seat. The priest has taken the blood of the Lamb, shed for our sins, made atonement for us. And what is the reality? The reality is, is that we are clean. That we can now do what? What can Mary do now that she's been made clean? By the atonement of the priest, she can now come into the temple. She can now come into the presence of God. She can now come into the presence of the true and living God. And brothers and sisters, as we read this passage and as we see the testimony of the circumcision of Christ, the giving of His name, And that the fulfillment of the days of purification for Mary. As we see this testimony that she has given these turtle doves, these two young pigeons. And let us think of the enormity of the sacrifice that has been given for us. That God Himself, that the Lord Jesus Christ has sacrificed Himself for our sin. He has made atonement for us in His own body, in His own blood. And one last thing in this passage that we see in verse 23. It is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And think about how this applies to Jesus. Jesus who opens the womb of Mary. And what is it said of Him? That He should be called holy to the Lord. And when we think of holiness, when we think of righteousness, we think of that set-apartness that holiness is. And think of the Lord Jesus. Not only is He perfect holiness because He obeyed the law in every uh, way, in every demand that it had. But He had been set aside from before the foundation of the world to be this sacrifice for sin. That Mary, who had given birth to God Himself, That Mary, who was unclean, has been made clean by her Savior. And she has set Him aside as the law requires. That He, again, would be called holy to the Lord. And again, you notice something about what Luke is doing as he quotes the Old Testament there. You notice the word Lord that's used. Again, when we see Lord capitalized in all four letters in the Bible, what's that supposed to represent? It's supposed to represent the covenant name of God. Again, when we think of the covenant name of God, where did it come from? You think of Exodus chapter 3. Where Moses is at the burning bush. 
And God has told Moses to go back into Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let his people go. And remember, what does Moses say? Well, what am I supposed to tell? Who am I supposed to say is doing this? And we hear the bush, the Lord Jesus, respond to Moses saying, I am. I am, I am, I am. Jehovah God. Jesus, who spoke these words to Moses. And we see Luke applying this word today. Not only to uh, to Mary, but also to Jesus Himself. That He belongs unto the Lord. And that because He belonged unto the Lord, we belong unto Him. Now, this is one of the great testimonies of our faith. And we see there so beautifully illustrated in John chapter 10. Why do we have no fear of this world? Because in whose hands do we lie? We lie in the hands of our Savior. And where does our Savior lie? In the hands of His Father. And He lies in the hands of the Father. And what does Jesus say to us? That no one, no power, no being can take us out of His hand. And so brothers and sisters, as we go from this place this morning, let us remember Again, the testimony of what we have seen in Luke chapter 2, 21-24. That the Lord Jesus Christ has offered an atonement for us. That He has washed us in His own blood. Again, the sacrifice that we in a million years couldn't pay for. That He has done on our behalf. To show us His mercy. To show us His love. And to remind us of the goodness of His grace. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we give thanks again that You 